Coming up, a preview of the baseball season with predictions, who will be in the World Series, and of course, I have to get into what the forecast for the Mets season will look like. I'll also talk about the Masters as it will kick off in Augusta today, and the big story being Tiger Woods. Will he be at the top of the leaderboard come Sunday? A recap of a thrilling NCAA men's final between Kansas and North Carolina. I'll get into some NFL notes as the draft is just three weeks away from today. And a few other things, including a new social media platform that you won't want to miss. The second dose of the J Reels podcast comes to you in just a matter of moments. But first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What? Is happening, my good people. Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic and excellent spirits. And why wouldn't I be? The time has come. A double dip, double dose of yours truly. For the first time, my maiden voyage moving forward as I take the podcast, not only just for that usual Monday, but now as we take a spin around the sports universe here on a Thursday. And I'm glad that you stopped by to listen to it all. As this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me, whether it's from the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even just recently, I welcome you guys and gals back. Lots to get into here. Obviously, the opening of the baseball season, the Masters, recap of the championship game. We'll get into every little bit of it. And we will start off with baseball because even though the Northeast with the Red Sox and Yankees being postponed today because of inclement weather, which hasn't hit the tri-state area as of yet, but it will sometime in the next hour or so. But hope does spring eternal, maybe for about 10 teams. I hate to say that because when you look at baseball, even if you're in Pittsburgh, even if you're in Kansas City, Baltimore, Arizona, Miami, Cleveland, cities like that where when you wake up this morning and you look forward to a baseball season, at least you could say we're tied for first place. We all know as time goes on, a lot of these teams will be out of the running for a pennant by Memorial Day. But at least for right this second and with a short schedule to boot, because when you look at baseball, it's not the pomp and circumstance. It's not the opening day in Cincinnati, which is usually a tradition as the Reds will be in Atlanta, I believe it's starting tomorrow. And because the baseball season was moved up a week, understandably so, that that's what we're going to have this schedule where not everybody's going to be playing today. And with a couple of rainouts or soon to be rainouts, not only in the Bronx, but in Minnesota, you're only going to have a smattering of games to kick off your baseball season, which may not even feel like opening day. Nevertheless, we made it through a lockout. 99 days to whether or not we thought baseball was actually going to be played, let alone March 31st or even April 7th, because it looked like that was even going to be in jeopardy. But as we go through a preview of this baseball season, and in fact, just looking at the schedule, I see that the 
Reds will be playing in Atlanta tonight, so you're going to have a raising of the banner down in Atlanta, the 2021 World Series champs, minus Freddie Freeman, and of course we'll get to him in a minute. But before we take a look at the baseball landscape, like I mentioned, there are about 10 teams, and this is where I'm going to begin, when it comes to a World Series threat. Not going to guarantee that these teams are going to be champions, but when we dissect it all and take a look, there are roughly 10 teams that I've counted, which is only 33%, that could actually win a World Series. And I understand you could say that for some of the other sports, whether it's, especially in the NBA, usually you have to have the one or two great players that will lead your team to a championship, you're not going to be able to do it with the one superstar and a bunch of lunch pail guys. And hockey is so unpredictable. So many teams that have won president's trophies in a regular season, they could get knocked down the first round. So you can't even look at the NHL as a league or even in that sport to think that there's only but a handful of teams that could win a Stanley Cup. And in the NFL, we all know that it could be the Cincinnati Bengals going to a Super Bowl one year and then maybe the next you could have the two dominant teams in any year as one seeds be in a Super Bowl. But when we break it down, obviously we'll start with the NL East. You could look at the Braves. You could look at the Mets. Maybe even the Phillies for that matter. I'll leave them on the outside right now. But those two teams, Mets and Braves, are ones to look at to possibly raise the trophy over their heads come late October. In the Central, you have Milwaukee, St. Louis. eh. We all know that they're resourceful. We all know that they're a team that has a lot of grit and has a lot of players on their teams, whether it's Yadier Molina, even a guy like Albert Pujols, which I understand he's in his last year, 22nd year in Major League Baseball. But we all know he has the not only just the hardware, but the experience. But we're going to look at Milwaukee. We're also going to look at the Dodgers out in the West. Could you say San Diego or even San Francisco with the big year they had last year? Uh, Not so much, but that's four teams, maybe five will count as far as making it to a World Series. And then in the American League, you have the Yankees, even the Blue Jays, which are a hot, trendy pick this year. You want to throw in the Tampa Bay Rays, even though they seem to trade pieces left and right. Most recently, Austin Meadows, but they're a team, talk about resourceful. That's one team that you would never expect. You would think with that team making all these different types of transactions, whether it's letting Charlie Morton go or trading any other player you can imagine, and you would think that, oh, there's no way that this team's going to recover, and sure enough, they're there come October as one of the participants in the American League. You want to throw in the Red Sox. Obviously, they made it to the postseason last year, but without Chris Sale to start off the year, in fact, for the first couple of months, That's a big component that's not part of the rotation if you're Alex Cora and the Red Sox. Then in the Central, we could look at the Chicago White Sox as being the favorite. All the other teams pretty much will go by the wayside. And then in the West, it's going to be the Houston Astros. You want to say the Seattle Mariners based on their success last year? Can the Angels make a jump? That remains to be seen. But we're really looking at anywhere between 10 teams max. And I would think maybe eight teams total. So again, Atlanta, the Mets, the Brewers, Dodgers, Yankees, Rays, Blue Jays, White Sox, Houston Astros, which is nine. If you want to say the Phillies is a team that can be a threat because of all of the recent moves that they made, bringing in Kyle Schwarber, as well as Nick Castellanos. Their lineup is going to be lethal, but we could say that there's going to be those 9 or 10 teams that could be the last team at the top of the MLB mountain come Halloween. And besides that, everybody else is just going to be either on the fringe or long gone by the 4th of July as far as any playoff hopes are concerned. And when we look at the East, I know that the Braves who had a rough two-thirds of last year, and then in that final third of the season, they went into overdrive, and we saw what happened. And this year, with a lot of the reinforcements, even though Freddie Freeman is gone, and the World Series MVP is in Miami, and a one Jorge Soler, 
But to me, that team is still stacked. They are still a defending champ. They bring in a guy like Matt Olson. Ronald Acuna is going to be back, if not at the start of the year, in the weeks to come. Mike Soroka, he'll be back in the rotation. Their pitching is young. They have a good nucleus. This is a team that obviously could be a threat to go back to a World Series and repeat. And I understand that's big praise to say, especially in 2022 where you do not see teams repeat. But this brave team is going to be here for the long haul. And as we've seen here over the last four or five years, they've been in the postseason. They've gone deep. Obviously, they've won a World Series now. And even with the heart and soul of their team now in L.A., I don't think they're going to miss a beat. The Mets I'll get to at the back end. As far as my little preview, I'll spend a few minutes on them. The Phillies, they're a team that is going to be loaded offensively. The aforementioned Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos to go along with Reese Hoskins, Bryce Harper, JT Realmuto, Gene Segura. Uh, that lineup is going to be just lethal. But you have to wonder about their pitching. And yes, they have Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. And you want to throw in a guy like Zach Eflin? You can. But you still have to wonder about their bullpen. Brad Hand and Jerus Familia, who were on the Mets last year, now go down the turnpike. And although those are upgrades, but are they good enough upgrades to get you to October and make a deep run to a World Series? That's the big question mark, if you ask me, when it comes to the Phillies. As for the Nationals and Marlins, will there be some improvements with the Marlins pitching if they could stay intact? And even though they brought in a couple of players with... Solaire, as well as Avi Garcia from the White Sox and Tigers of teams past. And then with the Nationals, it's all about Steven Strasburg and whether or not he can stay healthy. We know about Juan Soto. Rumors about him being offered a $390 million contract from the Nationals, and they even thumbed their nose at that. So unless they're going to literally back up the Brinks truck to pay Soto an upwards of about $500 million, you could see Soto taking his talents somewhere else. The NL Central, to me, it's going to be all about the Brewers. We know about their pitching with Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, anchoring that staff to go along with that bullpen that's led by Josh Hader. They are going to be a team that that's a division for them to lose because when you're going to look at the Pirates, when you're going to look at the Reds, when you're going to look at the Cubs... Those are teams that are going to be probably anywhere between the low to mid-70s as far as wins are concerned. And yes, they're the Cardinals. We know about their pedigree. Mind you, they don't have their manager from last year, Mike Schilt. If you remember, there were some differences there between he and the front office. So therefore, he was jettisoned and brought in is the young Oliver Marmol, who is going to be green. As we know, in this day and age with baseball, it's going to be a collaborative effort between he and the front office. How that plays out, we certainly are not going to know. But we know the Cardinals and what they're all about, their franchise, the way they're built. Of course, they have the pieces there with Molina, the catcher, and likely his last year as a member of the Cardinals. Of course, they have the corners set with Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. And they're a team that even though they're pitching, other than Jack Flaherty, is up in the air, but with a division that's not strong, that they're going to be able to beat up on the Reds, Pirates, and Cubs, you would think that they're going to be in the mix for a wild card there come the end of the season. And then out west, it's going to be the Dodgers with everything that they've had to endure, especially this offseason, losing Max Scherzer, losing a tough playoff series to the Atlanta Braves, them in a mano a mano with the Giants last year up until the final game of the season, that five-game playoff in San Francisco where they won in the ninth inning. And then for them to go off into this year, even after a World Series, you knew that they wanted to retool. You knew that there was going to be not some major changes, but there was going to be enough for them to say, okay, 60-game season, we did win a World Series, we wanted to piggyback that with a another World Series championship didn't happen even after winning 106 games and now they're going to be primed and ready to go to blitz through a regular season and through the National League to get themselves back to a World Series 
Freddie Freeman comes in. We know that this team is going to be loaded offensively with he, Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, although he hasn't been the same since his MVP season, but he is still a threat. The Turners and Justin and Treya. We know that this is a team that is probably the deepest and even more loaded than any other lineup in baseball. And I talked about the Phillies a couple of minutes ago. Now their pitching is probably a little bit to be desired, but they still have Walker Bueller and even Julio Urias at the top of that rotation. Clayton Kershaw, believe it or not, is going to be your fourth starter, but we all know he's long in the tooth. He's going to be a five-inning pitcher, maybe six innings tops. And then your bullpen, they bring in a guy like Craig Kimbrell, who scares me in a big spot. But with Kenley Jansen going to Atlanta and bringing in Kimbrell, they figure that, hey, a lot more mileage on that fastball, the biting slider, maybe for one more year, he could be a guy that could close out another World Series for the Dodgers. As for the Giants and even Padres, I'll start with the Giants. Could they even come close to what they did last year? And I'm not even talking about winning 107 games. Could they win even 97? Could they cut that number in half? Well, not necessarily in half, but you know what I mean. Their number in Vegas over under win totals is 85 and a half. So with that 22-game deficit, could they even get to 96? And we know that the rotation is going to be led by Logan Webb, but with Kevin Gossman going to Toronto, and even though they bring in Carlos Rodon, and although their pitching looks like it's going to be pretty stout coming into the season, but are they even going to come close to what they did last year? I think not. They had big years by Brandon Crawford, Brandon Belt, Evan Longoria, who's going to be on the shelf for the first, I believe, six weeks of the season. So... Although the pieces are there, Buster Posey, as we all know, retired. Although the pieces are there, but for them to even come close to that, or even, let's say, win in the mid-90s, I think it's still going to be a tall order. Will they be in the wild card mix? I think so. Could they win 90, 91 games? Absolutely. But I can't see that success carrying over into this year because when you have a team that was just clicking, that everything... The giant lineup did turn to platinum. Forget about gold. To ask them to do that again this year and try to get themselves in a position to where they could be that top seed in the National League, I think it's going to be a tall order. And the Rockies, although they have good pitching, and you want to talk about Chris Bryant, let's see what he could do there at Coors Field. I'm sure he's going to put up big numbers if he's healthy. But between the Rockies and even the Diamondbacks, we expect them to have long years and not be anywhere near the wild card playoff mix. As far as the American League goes, the East, just like the NL East, very competitive. The Yankees, you would expect them to, I'm not going to say have a bounce back year because it did make the playoffs. But as I've said time after time after time, right-handed hitting, dominant offense. Yes, I know Anthony Rizzo. And yes, I know Joey Gallo, but we all know Joey Gallo is a feast of famine player. As I've said last year, check the receipts. The guy's like Adam Dunn. He can walk 100 times, he can hit you 35 bombs, but he's going to strike out almost 200 times a year. And yes, his on-base may be high as well, but Joey Gallo's there to hit home runs, and he does play good defense. He's a better defender than Adam Dunn, but to me, he's that same type of player. What it's going to boil down to for the Yankees, as we all know, health And even with opening day today, I know a lot of the talk a couple weeks back was Aaron Judge and his offer by the GM, Brian Cashman, to be slid across that table before opening day to get that long-term extension. What that was going to be like, who knows? Is that going to happen between now and tomorrow as the Yankees will open up their season Friday afternoon? Who knows? I'm sure it may be an 11th hour deal and... I don't know what the policy is, but you would think they're the Yankees. They're probably not going to negotiate at any point throughout the season, which means Aaron Judge will be a free agent come the end of this baseball season. So there's that to sink your teeth in if you're a Yankee fan. But when it comes to the Yankees, it's going to be all about their pitching. We know Garrett Cole. He's going to be there as the horse for the regular season. But what is Luis Severino going to provide? Is he going to be the guy that's going to be the solid number two to back Garrett Cole, especially when you get into October, because 
Severino could have a killer year. He could be 18-5, and five, have 200-some-odd strikeouts, be a comeback player of the year type of possibility, and even maybe in the running for a Cy Young. But what he does in October is what it's all about, as we saw last year with Garrett Cole in the wildcard game imploding up in Boston. So when it comes to the Yankees, I'm sure they're going to be formidable. We know their lineup is going to be stout. And you got to wonder the same even for the Toronto Blue Jays, as a lot of people are looking at them as maybe even the favorite to win the AL East. We know how good that lineup is offensively with all the young players that they have on that team. And even though they're pitching, maybe a little bit to be desired, Jose Barrios is going to be opening day starter. We know that Robbie Ray, who left to go to Seattle, but then they slide in Kevin Gossman, who they brought as an import from the Giants. And with the Blue Jays, now will be able to be in the friendly confines of the Rogers Center, formerly known as the Sky Dome, unlike last year where they had to start the year in Dunedin, then move up to Buffalo before they were able to cross the border to play their games at home in Toronto. Now they have a full season there. I'm sure the fans will flock to the ballpark, and they're going to be a team that a lot of people are going to have their eye on as far as not only just that team that could take that next step, they won 91 games last year and fell short of the postseason, but now people are going to look at them as a threat, not only just in that division, but maybe throughout the American League. The Rays, as I said earlier, they're a team that for whatever the reason, they could plug me in at third base and I'll perform, I'll be able to put forth some good at-bats, drive in some key runs, and just like they've done the last couple of years, they'll keep that train moving along the base paths with just good, hard-nosed, smart baseball, very solid defensively, and will they have enough this year? To me, this team is built for the regular season with the way their rotation is. They don't have a guy that's going to be a lockdown, shutdown type of guy. Remember, they had a guy like that years back in the one Blake Snell, and even with him being traded to San Diego and anointing Tyler Glass now as that guy, but remember, he had Tommy John surgery, so you're probably not going to see him until sometime after the All-Star break. So we all know that this team is going to have a lot of openers. They're going to be relying on their bullpen with those guys coming out, throwing 100 from the, pretty much from the first inning on. And even if with some of their starters going in there, the Shane McClanahan's and the Ryan Yarbrough's of the world, they're going to go probably five innings and then just hand it off to the bullpen. We know about the wonder kid, Wanda Franco. Let's see what kind of year he has after signing that big deal. But with he, Brandon Lau, they don't really have a lot of length in that lineup. Yes, they may have some good hitters. The Manuel Margot's, is he going to be a guy that you're going to be shaking in your boots if you're a pitcher or a manager on the other side of the dugout where you're going to look at it and say, oh, geez, we're going to have to pitch around a guy like Margot or even Kevin Kiermeyer. Absolutely not. But the Rays, they always seem to be there, especially over the last few years, to be there at the end. They've won at least 90 games in the last three years, minus the COVID year, because if it was a full season, they probably would have won close to 100 games, because if you remember, they were 40-20 and during that 60-game stretch. But we're going to have to see what the Rays do this upcoming season. And the Red Sox, they are a wild card here. They bring in Trevor Story. He's going to play second base up the middle with Xander Bogarts. As I mentioned, Chris Sale, he's not going to be back until somewhere, you would think, mid to late June. Eduardo Rodriguez is in Detroit. So their pitching is going to be suspect here, and you got to wonder whether or not this Red Sox team, and I believe that number is somewhere around 84, 85, whether or not they're going to be at that number, slightly above, or drastically below. Because I think that's where the Red Sox could be at the end of this year. I don't think they could be in the mid-90s. Maybe they'll crack 90. And you would think that management will try to bring in a pitcher if they're going to be in the race, especially in a ultra-competitive AL East. But the Red Sox are a team that you just don't know. They're the one that's going to be mysterious as a team that could be dangerous, but then come late August, they may be 15 games back in first place and eight games behind a wild card. 
And then you have the Orioles. I mean, what more can I say? The Adley Rutschman era begins, and that's pretty much the one thing that you're going to hang your hat on there if you're an Oriole fan to my guy Jai in Baltimore. In the Central, to me, it's going to be the White Sox and everybody else. I know Tito Francona, Terry Francona, of course, the manager. Hopefully his health is at 100% that he'll make it through a whole season. And even though with the Guardians, if I mentioned Indians, my apologies, but the Cleveland Guardians, with the rebranding of that franchise and newly signed Jose Ramirez, five years, $124 million, they had to do that. I mean, the Indians are going to be a team that, even though they do have some pitching led by Shane Bieber, maybe they could hang around in the wildcard hunt. But if you're the Tigers, which there may be improvements there, and the Spencer Torkelson era will begin in Detroit, as well as Kansas City with the Bobby Witt Jr. era starting there. But other than that, it's the White Sox division to lose. They're going to be primed and ready to take that next step because they made it to the postseason in the 2020 year. Last year, they also were able to get themselves in a situation where they did lose to the White Sox in the divisional series. So now they got to take it a step further. And with Tony LaRusse at the helm, who, let's face it, he's up there in age and he's not going to be around much longer. And I'm not talking about him as far as being on this planet, people, but as manager of this team, I believe he only signed a three-year deal, so this is year two of this experiment. They're going to do whatever it takes to try to get Tony LaRusso off into the sunset with another World Series title. And then out west, even without Carlos Correa, but bringing back Justin Verlander is going to be huge. I think it's going to be the Astros. Seattle, could they be a threat? They're bringing up the young stud, Julio Rodriguez, to play center field. And can they even come close to what they did last year? They were kind of like the Blue Jays in a sense where they were in the postseason running up until the last week of the season. They did win 90 games. They did fall short of making it to the playoffs. But can the Mariners, and as I mentioned before, Robbie Ray, he's going to bring his hardware to the Pacific Northwest. Is it going to be enough for the Mariners to not only be part of that wildcard playoff mix, but maybe even push for the division. Because the window of the Astros, and they still have good players on that team. They still have Jose Altuve. They still have Alex Bregman. They still have Michael Brantley. They still have Yuli Gurriel. They have a young kid in Kyle Tucker in the outfield. The team is still intact. And if you want to look at the young pitching there, They just signed Ryan Presley to a two-year deal. I get it. He's pretty much going to be a guy that may be a starter, but we all seen him in the bullpen. Two years, $30 so you think he's going to be penciled in as a fourth starter. You also have Fran Valdez, so they're going to be solid. But with Seattle, and then even the Angels, Shohei Otani, the guy who is on the cover of the show this year, and with his MVP exploits from last year, carrying it over into this year, bringing in Noah Syndergaard, a healthy Mike Trout, and Anthony Rendon to go along with that lineup with Otani. Could it be that the Angels could finally make a push, not only in that division, but to be part of the playoff mix come late summer? As for the Texas Rangers and the Oakland A's, you can pretty much forget about I get it, the Rangers up the middle with Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager being brought into that team. But the Rangers have no pitching. And the A's, I think they just sold off another piece as we've seen here over the last four or five weeks, whether your name is Sean Manaya, who went to San Diego, Chris Bassett who went to the Mets, Matt Olson who went to Atlanta, and Matt Chapman who went to Toronto. The A's are going to be at the bottom of the barrel, not only in the AL West, but I think in all of baseball. And again, the Angels with Trout. I understand he was hurt most of last year, but we all know the presence that he has, not only in the sport, but a guy who's only made it to the postseason once, and he's already 30 years old. So he's starting the back nine of his career, even though he still has, what, about 11 years and $290 million due on his contract, maybe even more than that. 
But there's going to be a little bit of urgency out there in Anaheim for the Angels, especially with these prime Mike Trout years, to try to get himself into October to see if he could be that guy to wreck a postseason and maybe even, dare I say, get to a World Series and win it. But that's the entire baseball landscape. And briefly on the Mets, we all know that this was a big offseason, a big year for this organization. I don't have to go through all the moves and what had taken place. But tonight, it begins in Washington. And no, it won't be Jacob deGrom. And no, it won't be Max Scherzer. Although, his bullpen the other day, he came out feeling well. And he's going to pitch tomorrow, game two, in Washington. But your opening day starter is going to be Tyler McGill. Not sexy. Not ecstatic. Not the way the Met fan wanted to start off their season. But... It's only game one. To me, this Jacob DeGrom cloud is going to hang over this team throughout the whole year because with the shoulder, and I talked about this on Monday's podcast, you can go back and listen to it. Scherzer, yes, he's going to be the guy that's going to carry the mail here, but he has to be healthy as well. Remember, this guy's 37 years old and he has a lot of mileage on his arm. And the funny thing is, is that I'm not even worried about his arm. And yes, he had the dead arm last year, but to me, that was the Dodgers putting him in the ninth inning in that divisional clinching game against the Giants, which led him to have that tied arm because a few days later he pitched in game two in the championship series against the Braves and he was never to be found after that. He couldn't even pitch in a game six in Atlanta because his arm said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm done for 2021. So I'm not even worried about his arm, but it's the little nagging injuries like a hamstring, or a quad, or whatever it is, especially on that lower part of his body, to where, God forbid, he's going to be on the show for any extended period of time. Where do the Mets go for pitching? Chris Bassett is going to be thrust as your number one starter. And the offense, I think it's going to be good. It's certainly not going to be great. And we may see this Met team, similar to years past, had these stretches where they're not going to be able to muster up any runs. I could see that. And can you definitely see Max Scherzer going out to pitch, let's say, six innings tomorrow of one run, two hit ball with 10 strikeouts, but then leaves the game either tied 1-1 or down 1-0. I could see what the Met offense did to Jacob deGrom in 2018-19 and in parts of 2020 to where you're going to say to yourself, Can we get some run support for our guys? When all is said and done, to me, this Met team, it's going to be about their bullpen, which I'm not in love with. Adam Adovino is going to be a guy I'm going to hold my breath with. Same for Edwin Diaz, as we all know. And Trevor May is going to be your eighth inning guy. But to me, it's going to be about the bullpen and how good this offense and consistent this offense could be. Especially in the division, as I said before, where the Phillies are just loaded and the Braves are the Braves. I can see this Met team being a wild card, and with the extra wild card in play here, if they do not make it into the opening week where they will, chances are, be on the road and play a best of three to open up the wild card portion of the playoffs. But besides that, I could see them going on the road. Could they win that wild card series? Absolutely, especially if they have a healthy Jake and Max Scherzer. But the jaded Met fan in me says that they'll make it to the postseason but lose in a wild card. But I think they'll make it into a divisional round and they'll lose in five games, I'll say, to the Dodgers. Because whether they're fifth or sixth, and they don't recede, but I could see them... Winning a wild card round just based on maybe some guile, some pitching luck. Maybe if Scherzer wins you game one, who knows? Maybe Bassett or another pitcher could come out and just win one of the next two games. So then you could have Scherzer for game one in the in the divisional round, excuse me. But that's where I see the Mets. I see them peaking at a divisional series. If they have Jacob DeGrom, all bets are off. But I got to go into it this year knowing that Jacob DeGrom is not going to be there come October. I hate to say it. 
Listen to the podcast on Monday and you'll even understand why I feel this way. When it's all said and done, my World Series, and yes, it's easy to go Dodgers and let's say Astros or Dodgers and you want to say Toronto, Toronto and Atlanta, Uh uh-uh. I got to throw a curveball here. I got to come out of left field with a pick that nobody's going to want to even think remotely. And I'm sure Fox and Joe Davis, who's going to be the new play-by-play guy, they may even cringe at the thought of this because the ratings, granted that the one team that I'm going to pick is in a big market, the other is in a small market. But why not have a World Series which the two teams are separated by about 100 miles? A White Sox Brewer World Series. Now, I don't love the Brewer offense, but their pitching and their bullpen is what's going to carry them through not only this regular season, but into October and to the World Series. And the White Sox, as I said before, next step, I could see the White Sox, but oh, I don't trust them 100%, but they have a very good lineup led by Jose Abreu. We know about Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Yasmani Grandal, Tim Anderson. I mean, that's another lineup that is just top to bottom, stacked. And their pitching is very good, led by Lucas Giolito. Michael Kopech should be back from his Tommy John, the veteran in a one Dallas Keuchel. Their bullpen is excellent, led by Liam Hendricks, who's another guy I can't really trust in a big spot, but still. And I'm going to see the White Sox win in seven games over the Milwaukee Brewers. And quickly, let me get to my over-unders before I move on to other things. Real brief, over-under win totals from Vegas, and I'm going to pick the over or under, and I got three and three. Three overs, three unders, and I'm going to zip through these. First one is Atlanta 90.5 for everything that I said during my NLE segment. Defending champs, coming back just as good, if not even better than last year. I get it to Freddie Freeman scope of that and the pressure that Matt Olson's going to have, that's going to be enormous. But they're going to be a team that's going to easily win 95, 96 games. That's an easy over for me. And I didn't try to be cute with these over-unders like last year, even though I was cute with San Diego picking them as an under, and sure enough, they cleared that and then some. I do have one cute pick that I am going to throw in as far as an under goes, but I just wanted to be bare bones, straight to it, and you would think that these are going to be safe picks. St. Louis 85 and a half is an over. I get it. The young manager, that's going to be tricky. But with the last go around for Yadier Molina, even Albert Pujols to go along with the offense of Arenado, Goldschmidt, I get it. The pitching is suspect too. But I think they're going to clear 85 and a half. Maybe they'll win 87, 88. And I had to thank them for a 17 game winning streak last year. Because if you remember, I picked them last year and they were 88 and a half as their number. So at 85 and a half, three games under that, I think they'll clear that. That's my pick number two. The White Sox, 91 and a half. They're going to the World Series in my estimation. So to me, that's an easy pick for everything that I just mentioned. As far as my three unders, Tampa. I know that this is a team that could bite me in the rear end and people could say, well, that's a kind of a cute pick, Jay Reels. But with that division, and I'm not trying to make Austin Meadows out to be Babe Ruth, but by them trading a guy that's a 27 homer, 100 RBI at bat in a not deep lineup. To me, that's going to hurt them more. It's going to help. And with them not really having a big starting pitcher, unless Tyler Glasnow does come back later on in the season. And I understand they're built for the regular season. They're a team that is going to throw a million arms at you from all different angles and a hundred miles plus. But This team, they trade pieces as if it's nothing. Diego Castillo last year was a big part of their bullpen in 2020. We talked about Meadows and other guys that they've traded, but 89 and a half, I think they're going to fall short. They'll probably be in the mid-80s. That's my first under. I got to pick on the Oakland A's. For everybody that they've traded off, 70 and a half, they're going to be somewhere in the mid-60s. So to me, that's an easy pick. Watch them win 71 games and burn me. And here's my one cute pick. I get it with the upgrade of the bullpen and their lineup, which is arguably the best in the National League other than maybe the Dodgers. But the Phillies at 85 and a half, I think they're going to fall short of that. Their bullpen, 
even with Hector Norris and Sir Anthony Dominguez, who I heard has had a very good spring, I still don't trust this bullpen. And even the starting pitching, for that matter. Zach Wheeler's going to bring the pain. Aaron Nola, he's a little inconsistent, although he's a top-flight pitcher. But other than that, the Ranger Suarez is of the world, and even Zach Eflin, uh-uh, I'm not going to trust 100%. And even though they're three, four, and five starters aren't going to produce the way a one and two would, but if the Phillies aren't going to match this year, I could see them being under 85 and a half. So those are going to be my three unders. Again, Atlanta 90 and a half over, St. Louis 85 and a half over, and the White Sox 91 and a half is an over. My unders, Tampa 89 and a half, Oakland 70 and a half, and Philadelphia 85 and a half. We'll wrap up my baseball segment as we move forward here on the J Reels podcast. Let's get right to it. The Masters kicks off today. 10.34 is your tee time for one Tiger Woods. And I do not want to throw cold water on Tiger by any stretch because just for him to get to this point is miraculous considering what happened there in Southern California. What was it? Late February of 2021. And the momentum is going to build once he gets to Friday and if he does make the cut and even into Saturday and I, it's even unconscionable to think that he could be close or near the top of the leaderboard come Sunday. But there are a ton of very good to great golfers that he's going to go up against. And I understand the Tiger aura and the competitive fire. You cannot discount that. There's no way that if Tiger is a few strokes back on Sunday that there are going to be Guys on the tour, they're going to look over their shoulder and check out that leaderboard to see how far Tiger's going to creep up as we get deep into Sunday. And based on everything that I've heard and read over the last 48 hours that he's been able to walk the course, his practice rounds have been phenomenal, he's been there since last week, but the weather could be a factor tomorrow with high gusts of 25-mile-an-hour winds, and even though Tiger will tee off later on this morning and for him to have to rest up and then tee off, I believe, tomorrow sometime after 1 o'clock. I want to say it's 1.30 where he'll have some time to rest up and time to get that engine running early on. It's not as if he has an earlier tee time or his tee time is a little bit after 10.30 tomorrow. But with the weather possibly being a factor and depending on what he shoots today, that could go a long way as to possibly seeing him past tomorrow and him making the cut. And as I said, and I'll get to the other golfers in a second, but the one thing that will concern me when it comes to Tiger is not today, maybe a little bit tomorrow, but as we get deeper into the weekend, if he makes the cut, how that leg is going to respond when he's walking those greens there in Augusta. Because... One thing I heard is that yesterday, him walking the course and him in his final practice round, his gait was a little bit off compared to what it was on Tuesday. And listen, we can micromanage and overanalyze until we're blue in the face when it comes to this. Everybody's going to look for an angle. Everybody's I get that. And I'm not trying to say that Tiger was walking with a noticeable limp. But... You mean to tell me that this isn't going to wear on him as the weekend progresses if he gets past Friday into Saturday, etc.? So for me to think that he's going to be at the top of the leaderboard come Sunday, I'll go out on a limb and say this, I will be absolutely shocked. And that's not knocking Tiger. That's not knocking his resume. That's not knocking his will. And none of that. But the combination of him playing for the first time in about 16 or 18 months on a professional golf course, understood this is his favorite, and the one that I'm sure that he was focusing on at the start of his rehab sometime last spring. But to make this comeback, to be here, to take that first swing at the first hole, And there are no more victories when you're Tiger Woods, but I'm sure he's going to exhale and know that he's made it all the way back. And I get it. If you're Tiger Woods, making it all the way back isn't taking the first swing 
on the very first tee at Augusta. It's him trying to say, as he mentioned a couple days ago, that he can win this tournament. Is it out of the realm? Of course not. He's part of the playing field here, so it's not as if that there's he has absolutely no shot. But I will completely be shocked if he is three strokes back of the leaders come Sunday morning. And if that's the case, oh my God, the sports world is going to be in a tizzy. And when we look at this tournament on a whole, there are so many different players that could win this thing. And we understand that the weather could be a factor too. Yes, the azaleas will be blooming, but there may be some winds and the temperatures may not be as seasonable and pleasing to the eye as we would like, where you'll have the sunshine, where you'll have the beautiful greenery, where you'll have the short sleeves. Who knows what it's going to be like come Sunday. But when you have guys like John Rahm, who's going to be a big favorite. When you have a guy like Cam Smith, who a lot of people think could win this tournament. When you have a guy like Scotty Scheffler, who's only won the last three golf tournaments leading up until the Masters. And can he do it for a fourth time in a row, but this time at a major? What about reigning champ Hideki Matsuyama? What about the guy who was neck and neck with him last year and the one Xander Shoffley? Even Will Zalatoris, who had a phenomenal tournament last year and was in second place as the runner-up to Matsuyama. Colin Morikawa. I didn't even mention Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas. I mean, there's so many guys here that could come out on top and be victorious here that the sport is loaded with many guys that could not only just be at the top of the leaderboard come Sunday, but could be champion when it's all said and done. Which is the other thing that goes against Tiger coming into this tournament. And it's easy to say that John Rahm is going to be that guy considering the year that he had last year. You want to throw in Patrick Cantlay, a guy who was the golf of the year last year, which you could argue whether or not, considering that he didn't even win a major tournament where Rahm did. But... I think when it's all said and done, when we take a look at this landscape, Rahm is going to be a guy that's going to be close to the top, if not at the top. (laughs) I didn't even mention Brooks Kepka or even Bryson DeChambeau. What about those two guys? I mean, this field is just, you could pick any one of these guys out of a hat, and if they come out with the green jacket Sunday around 7 p.m., would you be surprised? The guy I'm going to pick here, now I'm not a gambling man, as you all know, but I'm going to go with the safe landing and say that John Rahm is going to be your winner. The guy has played phenomenal golf here over the past year plus. He's going to be a threat. And I get it. Any one of these guys could be at the top. Also, the Lee Westwoods and the Tommy Fleetwoods, those guys always seem to be at the top of the leaderboard come Thursday, Friday, into the weekend. But I just think Rahm... He's a guy that's been so consistent and has played so well here that for whatever the reason, I just see him being the guy that's going to be your Masters champion here in 2022. But it's wide open. I mean, you could pick any of the other guys that I mentioned and who knows, there may be another guy that's laying in the weeds that I haven't even brought up. The Tony Finau's of the world, the Adam Scott's, guys like that that may not be on anybody's radar because of all the hot names or the favorites that are coming in, but any one of these guys can win the tournament. So, once again, I'm going with the safe bet. I'm not trying to roll the dice or try to be crafty here. So, I think John Rahm is going to be your guy that's going to win this tournament. And let's see if Tiger's in the mix on Sunday, because if he is, the rating's going to be through the roof on CBS. And I'm sure Jim Nance and all the suits there at the eye of CBS, they're going to not only do backflips, they're going to be popping the Dom Perignon all over the place if Tiger is anywhere close to the top of the leaderboard come Sunday afternoon. All right, let me go through a couple of quickies here. With the national championship game, I understand it's been three days, but what a game there Monday night between Kansas and North Carolina. And I understand if you're a Tar Heel fan, you're sick to your stomach. You had a 15-point halftime lead. Kansas came all the way back. 
You have to give credit to the young guard, the brown kid who was instrumental in starting that comeback with a bunch of big buckets. And then late in the game there with David McCormick with a couple of big baskets down low. And he was a threat there in the middle. But give it up for Kansas. They had a tremendous run to a national championship where Bill Self wins his second title. I get it that if you're a Tar Heel fan, you could be proud. You beat Duke, especially in the Final Four. You could hang your head up high. We have a young coach in Hubert Davis that could take us to a promised land, especially in his first year as coach. But I'm sorry, you could spin it however you want. You could look at it as the glass half full, and understandably and rightfully so. But when you give up that type of lead, a historic lead at that, and you're not able to seal the deal, that one's going to stick with you for the rest of your life if you're a Tar Heel fan or an alum, or at least until you win that next national championship. Because I get it when you lost to Villanova, that buzzer beater there, and even though you beat Gonzaga two years after that, but... Still, those are games that are going to stick to your ribs. Whenever you have a big lead, and granted that North Carolina had that run there late in the first half, and Kansas obviously did not play well there during that stretch, but for them to come all the way back, and not only that, but you also out-rebounded Kansas by 20. And I get a lot of second-chance shots, especially there in that flurry toward the end there at 72-69, and then the backcourt was just awful. Caleb Love could not replicate what he did against Duke, and R.J. Davis was not good at all. But unfortunately, if you're a Tar Heel fan, again, yes, you could be proud. Maybe a couple of weeks down the road, you could say, hey, I'm glad we were nowhere to be found as an eighth seed. Nobody expected us to get this far. But when you get that far and you have a lead, if you got blown out of the building from the start, yes, that would suck too. But, ugh. Whenever you have a double-digit lead, and I get it. Basketball, it's a game of runs. Understood, but mm, that's going to sit with you. And I don't want to take any of the shine away from Kansas. They deserved it. They were the team that pretty much were at ease, even when they were trailing in the regional final to Miami by 6, 35-29. They just blitzed through that second half and blew the doors off of Miami and the Hurricanes. But give them credit. Now Bill Self is in some good company there with Jay Wright. And Rick Pitino is the only two active coaches with two championships under their belt. And even though Self, I'm sure the NCAA, they had to maybe take a deep breath after that because of all the controversies surrounding Bill Self and recruiting. And if you go back to that story with Sean Miller in Arizona a couple of years back, and I understand that that is kind of old news and it's not been at the forefront there with the NCAA, but... That's something I'm sure at some point that's going to be dealt with, but congratulations to Kansas for a remarkable job throughout the tournament and coming back in a deep deficit there against the Tar Heels to win the 2022 national title. Just some football news and notes that I didn't touch on Monday. I get it, this is a week and a half old, but the overtime rule in the sport will now be part of the postseason. I get it that they were trending toward this even after the Buffalo-Kansas City game last year where Buffalo wasn't able to touch the ball in overtime and Kansas City went on to win. Follow that by a week later where Kansas City had the ball in overtime against the Bengals and then we all know Mahomes threw the interception and then the Bengals kicked the field goal to go to the Super Bowl. But we knew that this was coming. To me, this is kind of like the DH in the National League that you knew that the days of the pitcher batting were going to be numbered. Now, granted, that took a long time where the NFL, they acted swiftly with this. So in the postseason, both teams will be able to touch the ball. Fine, not in the regular season, which I totally get the same rule. If the team has the ball in overtime first and they score a touchdown, the game is over. Obviously, if they kick a field goal, the team that kicked off will have a chance to get the ball and win it there or even tie it, uh, depending on what happens there throughout the course of the game. So we'll have to live with that. That's fine. I'm sure with the way everything had come into shape here, even with the Bengals winning in overtime, but when we look at the history of this, I believe seven of the 12 games that were in overtime once this rule was implemented going back to 2011, 
seven of the 10 teams, or excuse me, seven of the 12 teams that had the ball won it on the first possession, and it all started with the Tebow pass to the late Demarius Thomas, may he rest in peace, in the game against Pittsburgh in that wild card game, if you recall, the first play in overtime. That was the one that got it off and running. And then, of course, we do know about the Chiefs and the Patriots in Arrowhead, where the Patriots marched down the field to win in overtime, as they did in the Super Bowl against Atlanta. So now you don't have to worry about that in the postseason as to whether or not the other team will be able to get the ball come playoffs, championship game, or Super Bowl. You had a couple of big signings, whether it's the Rams signing Bobby Wagner. Where they're getting this money is beyond me. They signed Matthew Stafford to a long-term deal, as they did a couple weeks prior to that. Also, bringing in Bobby Wagner five years for $50 million. I believe it could be an upwards of 60 I don't know how much you got guaranteed off the top of my head, but you're already paying Aaron Donald big money. You're already paying Jalen Ramsey big money. There's got to be like five cents left in the coffers. Now, granted, they don't have number one pick, so it's not as if they have to worry about signing a number one pick. But man, what are they doing to manipulate this cap to bring all this talent and to re-sign these guys? And I know Donald's going to want to restructure his deal or at least get a long-term deal at some point. But give it up to the Rams. They're able to do it. God bless them. And then, Stephon Diggs, a big component in Buffalo as he signed a big extension, I believe $70 million of that guaranteed, who is a key piece to that Buffalo offense, as we all know. So, the Bills fans do not have to worry about having that tandem of Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. Both of those guys love each other. And then three weeks from today is the NFL Draft, which I'm sure the Draft Knicks are going crazy. I'm not going to get geared up for that just yet. The great thing about having the Thursday podcast, I don't have to talk about it on that Monday, which would be off the top of my head, was that the 25th? I don't have to talk about it that week. I could talk about it or on that podcast. I could talk about it that Thursday. And me, I don't get crazy about these mock drafts. If you've listened to me in the past, yes, I'll get into it, but I'm not going to say, oh, who's going to be the steal of the third round or who's going to be the sleeper of the first round. I mean, yes, we're going to know who's going to be up the board. We're going to know whose draft's going to fall as far as their stock goes. Understood all that, but we'll deal with that three weeks from now. We still have some time to chew on that, but the NFL fan, I know they're going to be raring to go. I don't even know where the draft is held this year. I could care less. As we know, the draft could be two in the morning on the moon. People are going to watch it, so we'll certainly keep our eyes on that. And as far as anything else in sports, NBA, I'm hoping that the Nuggets win one more game. Now, they do play the Lakers in their final game because my over-under numbers, which I'll touch on Monday, if the Nuggets win one of the next two games, I'll be clear to that. So we'll revisit that come Monday. NHL is pretty much status quo, although the Lightning couldn't beat the Capitals to do my Islanders a favor if they were going to inch a little closer in the wild card, but... We'll touch on that a little bit more Monday, but that will pretty much do it, people. My Thursday podcast, my maiden voyage into my double dip twice a week, which I am truly grateful and thankful for, and even more so for you guys and gals to tune in to listen to what it is I have to say about what's happening in the world of sports. And before I bid adieu, you could go on your social media, whether it's Instagram, you can follow me at JReels or the JReels podcast. Twitter, JReels1, just a number. And as well as Facebook, I have the Facebook fan page, JReels Podcast. Well, guess what? Your favorite little podcast host is also on TikTok. Can you believe it? Now, I will say this. This is a little premature, so I'm going to hold my breath on this. The JReels Podcast, you can follow me on TikTok. Somebody took JReels, which is fine because this is going to be centered around the podcast. So if you want to get all my instant takes on anything that's happening in the world of sports, all you got to do is go there. The J-Reels Podcast, follow me, like me, whatever it is. I'm not too familiar with the platform, but that's another outlet that you could find me as I will delve into anything and everything that's happening throughout the world of sports, whether it's on that given day, week, month. You got the podcast. This is a foregone conclusion, but there's just another avenue for you to go down to get my fresh hot takes on what's happening So please follow me there. And if you want to send me a question, comment, criticism, praise, you could do so at any of those aforementioned social media accounts. And please, 
If you haven't done so, people, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcast. Let's increase the visibility. Let's get a lot of traction when it comes to this. As you well know, your boy is going to be here twice a week moving forward. And also, if you want to contribute to this podcast, please do so at Patreon, www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it because that is going to contribute to this endeavor when it comes to the production, the upkeep of the website, the equipment. For me to come crystal clear from this microphone to your earbuds or speakers, because whether you do or do not know, this is why I love to talk about people. I've been doing this for now four plus years. I've been doing this for now almost 250 episodes. And as long as the good Lord has me here on his green earth, I am not going anywhere because I love to spit out the passion, the fire of all of my thoughts, analysis, and critiques on anything and everything that's happening in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Enjoy the Masters. Enjoy opening day in whichever city you may root for your team. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>